Welcome to Forging Plowshares. We hope you enjoy this conversation and are challenged by it. Please stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a short message about our ministry. As we come into the Christmas season and think of the great announcements that are set forth in Scripture, and as we look at these, we notice that there's really nothing about bad news intermixed with the good, but it's the light shining in the darkness, shattering everything and something like a starting over. As John will put it, in him was life, and the life was the light of mankind. And in these great announcements surrounding the birth and ministry of Jesus, even in the quiet scenes like we read this morning of his conception, the virgin conception, we see the idea that God is breaking into the world in a, in a new way. A man is conceived by a virgin. A woman is pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Matthew 1.18, the birth of the Messiah was as follows. When his brother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Angels appear to shepherds. People have dreams and visions of the new light shining forth. Maybe it's summed up in the book of Hebrews in chapter 1. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions, in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he has also made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the power of his word. We could just line these up and I line too many up. But let me, let me do two more. And that is that if you start looking at the sermons in the book of Acts, that consistently they're doing the same thing. They're making this pronouncement the world is being broken into. In Acts 17, Paul is speaking on Mars Hill in Athens. He says, so having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now proclaiming to mankind that all people everywhere are to repent. He also appears before Festus. He's a new Judean governor and he invites King Agrippa to come and Consider the case of Paul. And Agrippa and Bernice, his sister, they come in great pomp. They enter the audience hall and they have the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city all come together. And then Paul is brought out of prison. He's in chains. And he's confronting these powerful Roman leaders. And Paul describes his ministry but he's describing it as having cosmic dimensions. First of all, he describes his conversion on the road to Damascus when the light and Christ shone. But get up and stand on your feet. For this purpose I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen me, but also to things in which I will appear to you, rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles, to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins 
and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. And so what is happening in the coming of Jesus, there's a disruption of the world, a disruption of a cosmic darkness. The New Testament writers will talk about this darkness as consisting of the principalities, the powers, the authorities, the rulers, the kings, the angels, the demons, the spirits, the thrones, the dominions, they're all being thrown over. Sometimes it talks about spiritual realities and sometimes it's referring to earthly office holders or human powers but the idea is that all encompassing cosmic power is being undone and there's a new power being installed. And so Paul's gospel envisages God's liberating invasion of the cosmos. The love of God's Son enacted in his crucifixion is the gospel that possesses power to change the entire cosmos. And it becomes embodied in those like the church recreated by Christ's love, serving one another in a new sort of community of human beings, of mutual service. And then we turn to a book like Galatians and we're given warnings that Paul and the other writers of the New Testament, this great apocalyptic event, this breaking in of God in Christ, the way of reducing the gospel is to imagine that, oh, it's all about what we do, or it's about our choices and our responses. And Galatians is written to make sure people do not follow the false teachers. Those who picture the gospel, not in terms of this great light, a new word, but in terms of an old word. That is, the false teachers are basing their gospel on what has come before, on the law. Be circumcised. Messiah will release you from your sin if you will fulfill what God declared to Moses. In other words, they're intermixing it. It all sounds very gospel. Isn't this a fulfillment of what Moses declared to Israel? You know, he says, choose ye this day whom you shall serve. Choose life or death. And the focus can fall upon the choosing. Obey the law or reject it. The emphasis falling upon human choice rather than upon what God is doing. This is both a misreading of the Old Testament and certainly a misreading of the Gospel. Abraham and Moses are already elected. God has already acted. And the drama began with the act of God's grace. There is really no bad news in the Gospel. And unfortunately what the false teachers are peddling in Galatia, I'm afraid is often presumed to be the Gospel. This false gospel reads the Bible, there was plan A, and then there's plan B, and to get to plan B, you have to go through plan A. In this understanding, trying to observe the law teaches one that we're guilty, and that we're a sinner, and then we learn to move on to plan B, which is Jesus. And this contractual, or we might even call it a Lutheran approach, there are inherent contradictions. First of all, there's the simultaneous need. Oh, we rationally recognize that we're sinners, and yet the primary focus is on our own incapacity, including our rational capacity. 
It contradicts Paul. You know, the way we often tell the story of Paul as a Jew is, wasn't he one who suffered from a guilty conscience? That's not Paul. Paul says, my conscience was clear. In fact, I was perfect in regards to the law as a Pharisee. There is no conscience-stricken Paul. That's Luther. That's not Paul. But we often read the gospel through this notion, oh, plan A failed, and now we're in plan B. There's even the new perspective on Paul, and it is helpful in some ways. The focus of the Jews was with on the law as kind of boundary markers, that circumcision, keeping the food laws, keeping the Sabbath. That was not works righteousness, but that was a kind of marker that they were part of the chosen people. N.T. Wright may be the most famous theologian of our day, and he's attempted to take this insight and apply it to his own version of the problem. It's not about the individual, but it pertains to all of Israel. It just says, well, now all of Israel is going through this recognition of the inadequacies. And we need this historical approach, this corporate journey, the failure of Israel to get to what Christ is doing. That's precisely what Paul is not saying in the book of Galatians. We're right, or people in this kind of salvation history idea, they would attempt to incorporate the Old and New Testament intertextually and progressively, making the old necessary for the new. You know, the church's story I said last week, it's told in relation to Christ's story. Christ's story is told in relation to Israel's story. Israel's story is told in relation to Adam's story. And you need that sequence in this understanding. And the focus is on the knowledge of God's presence and activity within history. We need all of these previous events to come to Christ. If we have this focus on history, I'm afraid we're doing exactly what the Judaizers are doing. They're trying to put a mediator between us and Christ. That mediation can be many things. It can be the law, it can be history, it can be Mother Mary. You could just name all of the mediators, the priests that might be put between us and God. And what Paul is saying in Galatians, there is no mediator other than Christ. That Christ has broken into history. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the light. And yet, in this salvation historical approach, there is a collapse of divine self-disclosure into history. We've got to get behind the text of Scripture, that we know Christ through a kind of critical, realist knowledge. We have to critically examine the Scripture through a historical, critical method. And then we can come to Christ who in some way lies behind. Do you see the problem? We're putting all sorts of padding between us and Christ. The New Testament, first of all, doesn't read history from the beginning to the end. It reads history from the vantage point of Christ. Christ has come, Matthew says. Here is the fulfillment of Isaiah. Emmanuel, God with us. 
We didn't know that. We didn't understand that. We could not have conceived of that based upon the Old Testament. We only understand it now in and through Christ. We understand the old through the new. We don't understand the new through the old. And Paul's argument is not intended to describe the progress of salvation history. But it's to say you live in one of two relationships. A relationship with law. But, you know, in the place of law, we could put many things. A relationship with history. A relationship with the priest. A relation... In other words, you can either relate to the mediator, the mediation, the false mediation, or you can have a direct relationship with God in Christ. Paul says you can be a slave to the world... And what is the same thing? You can be a slave to the law or you can be a slave to the fundamental principles of the world or you can be a son or daughter of God. You know, that's what we're faced with. Two worlds. But it's focused on, oh, God has broken in. He's transformed us from one world to another. He's intervened and he's delivered us. And so the historical or temporal categories... They're certainly there in Galatians. Paul refers to that history. But he's only referring to it to illustrate the cosmic bondage that Jews and Gentiles all share. Paul recounts his personal history for the same thing. Paul's not saying, oh, I was really special as a Pharisee. Paul was saying I was a Pharisee and I was under the same elemental principles that you Galatians were under. Paul conflates the history of Israel and the history of the Galatians and his own history to say the same thing. There's one kind of history, one in which people are under the bondage of slavery. He and his fellow Jews and the Galatians and the Gentiles were all enslaved under the elementary principles. He talks about the former life of the Galatians as idolatrous, but he says to go back to the law would be like going back to idolatry. And so how are we saved is the basic question. I think that we can look at Paul's conversion. He was transformed through a direct intervention by God on the road to Damascus in which God revealed his son to him. Paul says the same thing about the Galatians. That they were transformed. And God gave his spirit in 3.1. Christ, he says, was portrayed as crucified before your eyes. That is, his experience, God broke into his world. The Galatian experience, God has broken into your world. Paul's purpose is not to provide an overview of salvation history, but to explain this transition from slavery to freedom. That's the story of the gospel. We've been transferred to a new world in Christ. And so Paul is, can we say, not interested in history? For its own sake, certainly, he is not interested in history. He's not interested in the history of Israel for its own sake. He's not interested in his own history. He's not interested in the Galatian history other than to say we've been transferred from slavery to freedom. World history, salvation history, Jewish history, cosmic history. It moves from slavery to freedom.
So as we enter into the Christmas season, Christ is Emmanuel. He's the fulfillment of Isaiah. Christ is the new Adam. He's the fulfillment of creation. Christ is the true king. He's the fulfillment of the throne of David. Christ is the true temple. He's the fulfillment of Israel. Christ's act of redemption is this breaking in. And so in painting the false gospel as a return to slavery, I think we've identified the darkness and the form of darkness that we also faced. It always imagines a circular exchange with God. You do this and I'll do that. You realize this and then you can come to that. But Paul's view of wrong and right is thoroughly apocalyptic in that this notion itself is broken apart. Setting right what is wrong, it involves enslaving powers, principalities and powers. But what these powers would do is always present the gospel or the truth as if it's some sort of exchange, a deal, a bargain. And the world has been taken captive and Christ is the liberator from this captivity, but the very nature of this captivity is the thing that the false teachers are presenting and that is very often the false gospel that's preached today. And so in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God has invaded the world and is therefore revealing the world's utter distortion, its utter foolishness, its being caught up in a very particular kind of slavery, a slavery to the law, a slavery to what we can do. In this, I'm not, you know, this is not Calvinism in the sense that, oh, we don't do anything, but it culminates in the triumph of God over all of God's enemies, which is inclusive of human agency. And so what is the identity of this cosmic power to which we're enslaved? I think we're encountering it in the false gospel of the Galatians, the false gospel proclaimed around us, in which religion, may we just call it that, the gospel is reduced to a human enterprise. It is dependent on human tradition. It's the false gospel in that it's a confusing of the illusion, the delusion with God. And so in Galatians, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free. Law, Paul says, or non-law counts for nothing. These things have been set aside. The only thing that is anything, Paul says, is Christ and unity in Christ. The plan A, plan B sort of system is undone. The church of Christ is a beachhead. It's a new world. It's a planting in this war against slavery, a new kind of liberation. And so for beginning to end, Paul draws contrast. What are our alternatives? It's between what human beings have done and what God is carrying out. In Galatians 2, 15 to 16, Nevertheless, knowing that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Since by works of the law, no flesh will be justified. 
Paul's saying the law is not making things right. The law is not part of God's plan of salvation. The law is itself a kind of oppressive force. It's a tutor. And it's an intermediator between the promise given to Abraham and its fulfillment in Christ. But the intermediation, the mediation is done. Did you receive the Spirit, he asked, in 3.2, because of something you did? That is, because you observed the law? Or did you receive the Spirit as a result of something God did? That is to say, as a result of the proclamation that God exercises his power through faith. The point is that God has acted, and we are not passive in this, but we participate in this. It's not a matter of faith over and against works in the sense that faith does not involve us in doing anything. This faith sets us to work. It's a faith that works, but it is not a work of exchange. We trust and follow Christ just as Abraham trusted, just as Mary and Joseph trusted. But we do not begin with Abraham's trust. We don't begin, you know, Mary and Joseph don't get together and say, hey, let's have a baby miraculously. It begins with God's power, God's promise, not our power. And so Paul brings Abraham into the picture in Galatians 3, verse 15. Brothers and sisters, I speak in terms of human relations. Even though it is only a man's covenant, Yet when it has been ratified, no one sets it aside or adds conditions to it. This is an unconditional covenant. The God who is now acting first, he's acting prior to everything else. He is supplying the Holy Spirit to the Galatians by the power of the gospel, Paul says. This is the power of God who always acts first. That's Paul's point in the close, in my close here. Referencing 3.16. The promise came to Abraham and then came the law. Don't confuse what came next with what came first. Now we're dealing directly with the fulfillment of the promise. Nothing is mediating between us and God. Not the law, not religion, not priests. Nothing stands between us and God in Christ. But unfortunately, human beings in their sinfulness will appoint mediators, priests, laws, institutions, traditions, history. And in padding the gospel, they preach the gospel that is a false gospel. God has spoken to us in his son. He has spoken directly and continues to speak directly, breaking into our world. Thank you for listening to this episode of Forging Plowshares. You can learn more and join our growing community by visiting forgingplowshares.org. Please consider supporting at patreon.com slash paulaxton or by donating at forgingplowshares.org slash donate.